Chapter 4 of The Red Hell of Jupiter by Paul Ernst. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Red Hell of Jupiter. Chapter 4 In the Tower. What I can't figure out, said Dex, striding up and down the big bare room, is why we're needed to tell them about the atomic motor. They've got our ship, and three others besides. I should think they could learn about the motor just by taking it apart and studying it." Bran grinned mirthlessly, recalling the three years of intensive study it had taken him to learn the refinements of the atomic motive power. "'If you'd ever qualified as a space navigator, Dex, you'd know better. The Rogans are an advanced race. Their control of polar magnetism and the marvelously high-powered telescopes Greca mentioned prove that but I doubt if they could ever analyze that atomic motor with no hint as to how it works." Silence descended on them again, in which each was lost in his own thoughts. How many hours had passed, the Earthmen did not know. They had spent the time in fruitless planning to escape from their tower-room and go back to the ship again. Though how they could get away in the ship when the Rogans seemed able to propel it wherever they wished against the utmost power of their motor, they did not attempt to consider. One of Jupiter's short nights had passed, however. A night weirdly made as light as day by red glares from the plates, which seemed to store up sunlight among their other functions, and the tiny sun had risen to slant into their window at a sharp angle. Suddenly they heard the familiar drawing of the great bolts outside their door. It was opened, and a dozen or more of the Rogans came in, with Greca cowering piteously in their midst and attempting to communicate her distress to Brand. At the head of the little band of Rogans was one the prisoners had not seen before. He was of great height, fully two feet taller than the others, and he carried himself with an air that proclaimed his importance. The tall one turned to Greca and addressed a few high-pitched, squeaky words to her. She shook her head. Whereupon, at a hissed command, two of the Rogans caught her by the wrists and dragged her forward. "'They have come to question you.' Greca lamented to Brand, and they want to do it through me, but I will not, I will not." Brand smiled at her, though his lips were pale. "'You are powerless to struggle,' he said. "'Do as they ask. You cannot help us by refusing, and in any case I can promise that they won't learn anything from us.' The tall Rogan teetered up to the prisoners on his gangling legs, and stared icily at them. Crouched beside him, her lovely body all one mute appeal to the earthmen to forgive her for the part she was forced to play, was Greca. At length the Rogan leader spoke. He addressed his sibilant words to Greca, though his stony eyes were kept intently on the earthmen. "'He says,' exclaimed Greca telepathically, "'to inform you first that he is head of all the Rogan race on this globe, and that all on this globe must do as he commands.' Bran nodded to show he understood the message. He says he is going to ask you a few questions, and that you are to answer truthfully if you value your lives. First, he wants to know what the people of your world are like. Are they all the same as you? Dex started to reply to that, but Bran flung him a warning look. Tell him we are the least of the earth people, he answered steadily. Tell him we are of an inferior race. 
Most of those on Earth are giants five times as large as we are, and many times more powerful." Greca relayed the message in the whistling, piping Rogan tongue. The tall one stared, then hissed another sentence to the beautiful interpreter. "'He wants to know,' said Greca, "'if there are cities on your globe as large and complete as this one.' "'There are cities on Earth that make this look like a... a... Bran cast about for understandable similes. Like a collection of animal burrows. He says to describe your planet's war weapons, was the next interpretation. And here Bran let himself go. With flights of fancy he had known he was capable of, he described great airships, steered automatically and bristling with guns that discharged explosives powerful enough to kill everything within a range of a thousand miles. He told of billions of thirty-foot giants, sheathed in an alloy that would make them invulnerable to any feeble rays the Rogans might have developed. He touched on the certain wholesale death that must overtake any hostile force that tried to invade the planet. "'The Rogan shock-tubes are toys compared with the ray weapons of Earth,' he concluded. "'We have arms that can nullify the effects of yours and kill at the same instant. We have—' But here the Rogan leader turned impatiently away. Greca had been translating sentence by sentence. Now the tall one barked out a few syllables in a squeaky voice. "'He says he knows you are lying,' sighed Greca. "'For if you on Earth have tubes more effective than theirs, why weren't you equipped with them on your expedition here to the Red Kingdom?' Bran bit his lips. "'Check,' he muttered. The brute has a brain in that ugly head." The Rogan leader spoke for a long time then, and at each sing-song word Greca quivered as though lashed by a whip. At length she turned to Brand. "'He has been telling what his hordes can do, answering your boasts with boasts of his own. His words are awful. I won't tell you all he said. I will only say that he is convinced his shock-tubes are superior to any earth-arms, and that he states he will now illustrate their power to you to quell your insolence. I don't know what he means by that." But she and the earthmen were soon to find out. The Rogan leader stepped to the window and arrogantly beckoned Brand and Dex to join him there. They did, and the leader gazed out and down as though searching for something. He pointed. The two earthmen followed his leveled arm with their eyes and saw, a hundred yards or so away, a bent and dreary figure trudging down the metal paving of the street. It was a figure like those to be seen on earth, which placed it as belonging to Greca's race. The tall leader drew forth one of the shock-tubes. Seen near at hand, it was observed to be bafflingly simple in appearance. It seemed devoid of all mechanism simply a tube of reddish metal with a sort of handle formed of a coil of heavy wire. The Rogan pointed the tube at the distant figure. Greca screamed and screamed again. Coincident with her cry, as though the sound of it had felled him, the distant slave dropped to the pavement. That was all. The tube had merely been pointed. As far as Bran could see, the Rogan's hand had not moved on the barrel of the tube nor even constricted about the coil of wire that formed its handle. Yet that distant figure had dropped. Furthermore, fumes of greasy black smoke now began to arise from the huddled body. 
and in less than thirty seconds there was left no trace of it on the gleaming metal pavement. "'So that's what those things are like at full power,' breathed Dex. "'My God!' The Rogan leader spoke a few words. Greca, huddled despairingly on the floor, crushed by this brutal annihilation of one of her countrymen before her very eyes, did not translate. But translation was unnecessary. The Rogan's icy, triumphant eyes, the very posture of his grotesque body, spoke for him. "'That,' he was certainly saying, "'is what will happen to any on your helpless planet who dare oppose the Rogan will.' He whipped out a command to the terror-stricken girl. She rose from her crouching position on the floor, and at length formulated the Rogan's last order. "'You will explain the working of the engine that drove your spaceship here.' Dex laughed. It was a short bark of sound, totally devoid of humor, but very full of defiance. Brand thrust his hands into the pockets of his tunic, spread his legs apart, and began to whistle. A quiver that might have been of anger touched the Rogan leader's repulsive little mouth. He glared balefully at the uncowed earthmen and spoke again, evidently repeating his command. The two turned their backs to him to indicate their refusal to obey. At that the tall leader pointed to Dex. In an instant three of the guards had wound their double pairs of arms around his struggling body. Brand sprang to help him but a touch of the mysterious discharge from the leader's tube sent him writhing to the floor. "'It's no use, Brand,' said Dex steadily. He too had stopped struggling and now stood quietly in the slimy coils of his captor's arms. "'I might as well go along with them and get it over with. I probably won't see you again. Good luck!' He was borne out of the room. The Rogan leader turned to Brand and spoke. He says that if your comrade does not tell him what he wants to know, your turn will come next," sobbed Greca. Oh, why does not the great white one strike these monsters to the dust? She ran to Brand and pressed her satiny cheek to his. Then she was dragged roughly away. The great door clanged shut. The heavy outer fastenings clicked into place. Dex had gone to experience whatever it was that Journeyman and the rest had experienced in this red hell. And Bran was left behind to reflect on what dread torments this might comprise, and to pray desperately that, no matter what might be done to his shrinking body, he would be strong enough to refuse to betray his planet. End of chapter 4